Hola, so. We are clearly approaching the final two weeks, the final quarter of our time together here. And as we anticipate what comes after this, some of us may, or maybe even all of us may be, attending to or engaging with the type of tension. Um, I call, a long time ago, I, just for my own personal vocabulary, I came to call it the, a sacred tension. And that is on the one hand, uh, here we are, as far as I can tell, everybody's quite healthy, of sound mind. We're all talented, talented in various ways. There are ways that we can contribute to the world around us by being active, socially engaged, um, and that certainly has value. On the other hand, for the last six weeks, we've been almost entirely useless to everybody outside of here, to everybody outside of our community here, but very fruitfully useless as we are charging our own batteries, bringing about this inner transformation. But as we anticipate what follows the retreat, then we may be weighing wherein lies the greatest benefit. Now, for some of us, it might be quite clear uh, that if you have no obligations outside, nobody is really in, in great need of you, you have a great yearning to devote yourself in continuing full-time practice, it may be not much of attention at all. Just carry on, you know? And for others, it, if you have children, for example, uh, it may be just perfectly obvious. You go back and you take care of your children. They're not gonna, they want their parents back, right? So that can be quite clear. And then you, then you work in with a socially engaged way of life. You may need to make a living, a socially engaged way of life. Then you work in, well, how can you have formal times for meditation and how can you season the day with meditative practice uh, throughout the course of the day? But it's an ongoing balance. And there's, I, I think of two pe three people I know. One is a couple and very, very, very fine people, very devoted to Dharma. They both had, how do you say, more ordinary types of occupations. There's nothing wrong with it. It was right livelihood, but simply that. I, don't, I think I won't mention the particular task, but they're just simply ordinary um, occupations. And then some time ago, they approached their, their lama and said that the two of them together would really like to just devote the rest of their life to full-time retreat. So then he said, go for it. And they've been in retreat ever since, right? Uh, I think like nine, ten months a year, just full-time, the two of them together in retreat. Uh, there's another friend of mine who is an experienced meditator and in addition to being very, very capable as a meditator, is also doing really quite wonderful works of service in the world. His is not an ordinary occupation that somebody else would leap to fill his shoes. He's doing things that really, I think nobody else can quite fill his shoes. Really great service on multiple levels. And he asked, after a very fine retreat, one that went very, very well for him, he got so inspired that he knew for himself, it's called Rangdu in, Rangdu in Tibetan, for his own self-interest. And this is not selfishness, it's simply in terms of your own well-being. That's a legitimate concern. He's, it was clear, clear for him for his own well-being, there was nothing he would like more than just to spend the rest of his life in retreat. And the man is a profoundly not a selfish man. He went to his lama and said, um, do I have your permission? I'd love to just spend the rest of my life in retreat. And his lama told him, if you have the confidence now that if you go into retreat for the rest of your life, that you will achieve enlightenment in this lifetime, then yes. If not, then no. Then spend some time in retreat, some time continue your wonderful work in the world. So this person is continuing to do both. 
And I, and I sympathize with him quite strongly because I asked His Holiness, oh, what was it, 1997, when I was just starting to teach in the university at the, in, the, in Santa Barbara, uh, I asked him, you know, I, I would drop this in a finger snap if I can just go off and spend the rest of my life in retreat. And he said, no, no, no. <laughs> That's an extreme for you. That's an extreme. And so, so there it is. And it's an ongoing tension for me. Uh, it's conscious pretty much every day. That in terms of Randu, my own, I would just love to spend 12, 14 hours every day in meditation, do nothing else. Might actually get somewhere. Who knows? Hmm. Don't know. But it'd be worth it. <laughs> On the other hand, of course, I've, I derive enjoyment. There is meaning in my life to be of service to others. So, where you find yourself along that spectrum? If you're doing a task that, if you, if you vacated it, if you quit, somebody else would leap to get your job and they'd be so happy. And you have the, the opportunity simply to devote yourself full-time to spiritual practice. To my mind, that's a pretty easy decision. But then there's a whole gradient. There's a whole gradient. And that's where the tension lies. Okay? So, but it's a sacred tension. There's tensions of just people competing and uh, tensions of mental afflictions coming up. But this is a tension between, shall I go out and be of really actively engaged in the world, be of service, which means I'm going to have less time just for spending time in utter solitude, in utter simplicity, and just transforming and purifying my mind. How sh but both of these are profoundly meaningful. This time for withdrawing, for seclusion, the time for going out and being actively and manifestly of service. So that tension <clears throat> is overcome, that is, there's no longer any such tension uh, when we become a Buddha. Because the Buddha has this non-abiding nirvana, neither immersed in the immutable bliss of nirvana, simply immersed, absorbed in that, nor immersed in samsara like ordinary people like me, but rather engaging in the manifest world of samsara while never disengaging from nirvana and seeing the two of one taste. So until you're seeing the one taste of samsara and nirvana, the equal purity of all phenomena throughout all the six realms of existence, until then, uh, there is this sacred tension and you may as well get used to it. Okay, let's have a silent session. <clears throat> Choose the method of shamatha that you find most suitable for bringing about these three qualities of relaxation, stillness, and vividness in your body and mind. Let's bring the session to a close. Also, I think I need to uh, retract one statement. Uh, the notion that we're all being, for these last six weeks, useless to everybody outside of the uh, mind center, that's not true. Because, especially thanks to Daniel, um, we've had these podcasts going out. We have a few hundred that are listening to them very regularly, and 4,000 have been checking in. And it's because of your questions 
that there are any answers, no questions, no answers. And so I'm, I think there's been a good deal of feedback of people saying uh, this has been beneficial, yeah? So even though here we are just minding our own business in the mind center, uh, there seems to be some benefit. So even here we're not entirely just cloistered within our own hermetically sealed minds. So that's good. So that's something to practice mudita for, for Daniel's own contribution to facilitate this and for all of you to be here and offer your questions, your comments, your insights. And then I, I just toss, toss in my little, my, little, my little banana peel too and hope you slip up. <laughs> so see you this afternoon. Enjoy your day.